Tonight we're going to begin a new book here on Wednesday nights, the book of Galatians. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to the book of Galatians. An awesome book about the gospel of grace, and it's what the Apostle Paul is going to expound to us. Tonight we're going to take the first five verses. We're going to kind of do an introduction to the book of Galatians in a study I'm calling The Characteristics of a Messenger of Grace, which is what the Apostle Paul is. He's the greatest example, really, of a messenger of grace. And I believe God wants to equip us so we can go out into the world and be like Paul, to be messengers of grace, to take this good news, this liberating news, that Christ can make you free to the, to the entire world. So let's pray and let's, let's see what the Lord will have for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, our, our song is true, Lord, we need you. And Lord, we need your grace. Lord, we need your mercy. Um, Lord, we need your wisdom. Lord, just to navigate through life. Lord, honestly, we, we don't have the, Lord, the, the knowledge or, or the strength, Lord, to, to walk the Christian life, Lord. And so we depend upon your spirit. Lord, we depend upon your word to instruct us. And so, Lord, we submit our hearts to you tonight. Lord, we know that your spirit will speak to us through your word. It won't come back void. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would would uh, communicate clearly, Lord, what you have to say to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I think one of the hardest things to do is to express your heart and tone of voice through writing. Maybe you're writing a letter, you know, or maybe you're writing an email, you're responding to somebody in an email or text message, and you're like, okay, I got to, like, talk to him right now, but I don't want them to make, you know, sound like I'm mad or something or, or like I'm being rude, and so... You know, so you try to respond the best you can out of love and you know, try, to, you know, try to express your heart and your, your tone of voice through it. Now, maybe for you it comes naturally. You know, some people, you just read them. I love reading J. Vernon McGee books because when you read him, you can just like see him talking like in the book. You know, my friend, you, just, you, know, you, can, just, you, know, you can just see him speaking and I, I can just like see him like behind the book. And so maybe you might be that way. Maybe you can communicate very well um, through, um, through letters and text messages. It's for this reason that people like me love emojis, right? You know emoji, right? The little symbols and things like that that you have on you know, text messages and whatever. And so, so if you want to communicate something, you just put the little smiley face on there. Or if you're, you know, it's a little sad with the crying things. Or you can put little horses or whatever you want on there. Now, the Apostle Paul, he didn't need an emoji to communicate his heart to the Galatian believers, Rather, he communicated very clearly through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see some very clear terms that Paul uses, like, I marvel that you're turning away from the gospel. Like, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So it's very clear on, on Paul's heart and, and what he was communicating to the Galatian believers um, in this epistle. We're going to see that this epistle is focused on urgency. It's focused on importance because we're touching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul had a lot of grace, a lot of liberty, especially when you read the book of Corinthians. He had a lot of grace with them. But man, with the Galatians, because it was touching the gospel, Paul acted very swiftly, very quickly, and very promptly in order to deliver them from legalism and from false teaching. What was going on that Paul would speak so firmly? Well, we read about it in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. Look what Paul says. He says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so Paul was marveling. He was shocked that his brothers and sisters in Christ 
were turning away from Christ. They were turning away from grace to a gospel of legalism. They were buying into what he called a different gospel, a different of another kind, basically, as we're going to see next week. It wasn't what they believed when he came to them and preached. Now, how did this happen? Well, notice Paul said, some trouble you. And so as we get deeper into the letter, we're going to see that after Paul established these churches in the region of Galatia, these Jewish false teachers came in and began teaching these Gentile Christians, these non-Jewish Christians. They're saying, hey guys, that's great that you received Christ in your life. That's great that you're, you know, you're saying you're born again, but there's more to it than that. Actually, you guys need to convert to Judaism. You guys need to follow the law. You guys need to go under its rites and rituals, and then your salvation will be you know, legit kind of thing. Uh, Bible teachers call these guys uh, Judaizers because that was the focus of their teaching. It was to make the Gentiles return back to Judaism, back to the law. Now, Paul is going to deal with these guys very swiftly. Now, to make matters even more worse, these false teachers were also gossiping about Paul behind his back. These false teachers were questioning whether Paul was actually a real apostle. They were saying that he was some appointed, self-appointed preacher. They were denying Paul's message, saying that it was unique to Paul and watered down. But in contrast, they had the real, true gospel. They had true righteousness, and they were going to give it to the Galatian believers. Now, what a dilemma for Paul, Pastor Paul. Think about it. You know, here's Paul in some location. We don't know exactly where he wrote the letter from, but here is these believers that he risked his life for. When Paul was in Galatia, as you read in Acts 13 and 14, he was stoned. He was probably dead, and the Lord raised him from the dead. So he basically gave his life to give the gospel to them. They get saved. He plants churches. Now he leaves, and all of a sudden he gets word that here's these false teachers in there turning these believers away from the, from the grace of God. Paul couldn't just hop in his car and go over there and talk to them and says, guys, what's going on? He couldn't you know, send them a letter or, or even pick up a phone. By a letter, I mean text message. You know, he couldn't just pick up the phone and talk to the pastors and say, hey, guys, what's up? What, what's going on over there? But rather, God used him to pick up a pen and write just six chapters that are full of grace seasoned with salt. And the church has been blessed that Paul did that. The church has been blessed that Paul made a stand for the grace of God because it, it, this letter has affected church, the church throughout all of his history. The Galatian believers are going to be blessed, but even during the Reformation, believers were blessed. The book of Romans and the book of Galatians was one of the main books that were used by Martin Luther during the Protestant Reformation, God called to believers out of legalism and said, hey, return back to me, return back to the true gospel. And um, God blessed it. And even so, as God blessed Paul and Luther, God wants to bless us. He wants to equip us to be messengers of grace, to go out into the world, to tell believers to abide in grace, and if so be it, defend the gospel of grace, that people would grow in their faith. And so that's basically the background of the book. Now, the way that we're going to approach this book, we're going to look at it in three sections. And here's the sections. First, in chapters one and two, we see Paul's defense of his apostleship. And in these sections, we're going to learn what it is to be a messenger of grace. We're going to look at, we're going to look at what its characteristics are and, and how God wants to teach us and train us as he did Paul to be a messenger of grace. Second, in chapters three and four, we're going to see Paul's defense of salvation by grace through faith alone. And from these chapters, we'll learn the distinction between the law and grace and how we defend the gospel of grace against outside of text. And then third, in chapters 5 and 6, we'll see Paul's application of God's grace. We'll learn how to walk in grace daily 
as we stay away from legalism, stay away from, you know, just license to sin, but we walk in God's grace as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's how we're going to approach the book. And so tonight we're going to begin our first section of the book, chapters 1 and 2. We're going to see Paul's defense of his apostleship. As we look at these first five verses tonight, we're going to look at four characteristics of what I'm calling the characteristics of a messenger of grace. And so as Paul does with all his letters, he introduces himself as the author here in the first verse, in verse 1, Paul, the man of God. Now, we're given some insight into how Paul might have authored this book in chapter 6, verse 11. Paul wrote and said, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And so this phrase either, this phrase either refers to the fact that Paul actually penned this epistle or that he dictated this letter to a scribe and then at the end he signed it and wrote some personal salutations to kind of authenticate the book and to know that, hey, it was actually from Paul. Now, the large letters that Paul wrote with, what's that all about? Well, some say, hey, Paul had this eye trouble, and so maybe, you know, he didn't have reading glasses, and so he wrote with large letters. Others refer to the fact that it was an important um, writing at at the end to say, hey, guys, this is important what I'm writing to you now. I'm writing you with with such large letters, kind of in bold kind of way. But either way, what Paul was writing was very important. Now, I think it's interesting that Paul here addresses himself because all these believers had to do was look at Paul's life and to know that there's no reason for them to return back to legalism from grace. I mean, Paul is really a testimony of God's grace. Look at Paul's life B.C. and look at Paul's life after he came to know Christ. And it shows you exactly why you shouldn't return back to legalism His life demonstrates the power of the grace of God in a person's life. Here's a quick background of Paul's life. Maybe um, this might be um, new to you. The Apostle Paul had two names, really. He had, uh, as most Roman citizens did, he had the name Paul, which was his Roman name, and Saul, which was his uh, Jewish name, his Hebrew name. Saul was from Tarsus, which was actually a Roman city, and it was near the southern area of Galatia, and so they were kind of in the same Um, region um, here. Saul was raised in a strict traditional Jewish home of the tribe of Benjamin, and he even calls himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Hebrew meaning that he didn't, him and his family didn't adopt the Hellenistic culture of the day, but they stayed traditional in their views and, and also in their ways of life. They were strict Jews following the law. Now at age 12, Paul chose to become a Pharisee. He went to Jerusalem and there He studied under the feet of a rabbi named Gamaliel, who was actually the head of a rabbinic school. And there Paul grew in in, in a zealous desire to keep the law and to follow the law. The Pharisees were known for their keeping of both the written and the oral traditions, the oral law. And so, man, they studied the 613 commandments of the law, but also they had the whole Mishnah. It's like the encyclopedia. Uh, You know, it's huge. I mean, of all these different traditions that they would add to the law, and they would memorize these things. And so Paul was zealous about keeping the law and about Judaism. The law made Paul zealous for God. He, He tells us in Philippians that he advanced above all of his contemporaries, so much so that it led him to violently persecuting Christians. It began with with Stephen there as he gave the consent to stone Stephen there for what he believed was blasphemy against the law. After Stephen died, Saul turned his attention to other Christians going into all throughout all of Jerusalem and Judea. And finally, after he was done there, he got letters 
saying, hey, Paul, it's okay for you to go down to Syria and get Christians there too to take them back for their blasphemy against the law. But while Paul was on his way, while Saul was on his way, he was met by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And there Saul fell to his knees and said, Lord, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. I love that. Jesus says, hey, you're messing with Christians. You're messing with me kind of thing. I'm the one you're persecuting. I'm the one you're kicking against, Saul. You're the, you, know, you know that I'm the one that you need. And at that point, Saul gave his life to Jesus. His life was transformed by God's grace, and the church had never been the same ever since. So here was Paul. He gave his life to Christ, and his life was changed. Now, I love this because no doubt the Galatian believers knew this. And so here was these false teachers coming on the scene and saying, hey guys, if you really want to be spiritual, go back to the law. Go back to legalism. And Paul was a testimony of God's grace writing this letter and saying, no, you don't need to go back to the law. Look at my life. I, I was zealous for the law. I studied the law. I advanced among all, all my contemporaries, but it didn't get me to the place of where I am now with Christ. and didn't get me to the place of where I am now with God. You see, you can't grow in your relationship with God through legalism and through works. It's only by the grace of God and only by realizing that your walk with Christ is not a religion, but it's a relationship. It's love, not by works. And so these believers would understand that. Now, as we're talking about being messengers of grace, we get a very good example of our first characteristic behind this very first verse. And we're going to move through these verses, trust me. But, but for now, we're, we're, we're camping out on Paul, but, but think about it. Behind this messenger of grace was a life that was transformed by God's grace. You see, Paul could say, hey guys, I'm going to preach to you about God's grace right now. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about this life-changing power, this gospel that will free your life. But he could say that because his life was also first transformed by God's grace. And the same is true for you and I. You see, God will make us effective messengers, but first we need to be at the point to where God transforms our life. To where we have that walk with the Lord where, you know, we, we give our heart to Christ and our life to Christ and he lets us, you know, and we let him change us. And so if you're going to be a messenger of grace, the first place that we begin is just by resting and receiving God's grace. Just rest and receive all that God wants to do in your life. Realize that he has set you in the heavenlies, as Paul says in Ephesians. And as a result, God's grace will pour from your life. It's not something you'll have to work for. It's like fruit growing on the tree. It'll naturally bear forth as God pours in you, and it flows out from you. Second, we see Paul's ministry in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So Paul wastes no time in starting to address the accusations of these false teachers. And so really, Paul, in these verses, verses 1 through 5, gives his response to their accusations in a nutshell, and then he's going to expand them later on in uh, the rest of chapter 1 and also in chapter 2. These guys were saying that Paul wasn't a real apostle, that he was a self-appointed preacher. And Paul says, oh yeah, guys, by the way, here's the basis of my apostleship, and here's the background of my message. First, Paul says that his ministry and his gifting was an apostle. Now, the word apostle means one who is sent with commission. An apostle was one who was sent by God, but it was one who bore the authority of God as a representative of God to speak the word of God. In Ephesians 2, 19-20, we're told by Paul, he said, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, having begun, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so God used these apostles and prophets to lay the foundation of the church in the first century, which was Christ himself. They went out and they taught the doctrine of Christ, the teachings of the apostles and prophets. Now, in talking about apostles in Paul, it's important to note that there was two distinct groups of apostles. First of all, there was the 12 apostles, which were appointed by Jesus. And when Judas left his position, Peter tells us the criteria for someone entering into that 12th apostleship. It's given in Acts 1, 21-22. Peter said that a person had to be with Jesus from beginning to end. They had to be a follower of Jesus from the time of John the Baptist's baptism all the way through Christ's life. They had to see Christ raising in from the dead and ascend into heaven. And at that time, there was only two guys who met that criteria, Matthias and another guy. And they chose, God chose Matthias through casting of a lot. And so why the 12? Well, because the Jews had to be, have representatives of the 12 tribes. And so here's these Jews, the apostles, and they went out and they bore witness to the Jews in the book of Acts. Well, once God bore witness to the Jews and then he sent them to all, all the world, God chose another apostle, and that was the apostle Paul. Paul wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't following Jesus during Christ's life. But rather, Paul saw Christ risen on the road to Damascus. And also, he received his, his commission directly from Christ. And so, I hope that clears up some of the confusion. People say, well, is, Christ the tw- or is um, Paul the 12th apostle? No, he's not. Paul referred to the 12 apostles in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He didn't say it. The 12 apostles. Oh yeah, by the way, forget Matthias. I'm him. I'm the 12th. No, he referred to the 12 and himself. And so God had other apostles besides the 12. But the criteria to be an apostle was you had to see the resurrected Jesus. And so that's why there's no apostles today. And so if someone comes to you and says they're an apostle, don't believe them. Because <laughs> a person has to see the resurrected Jesus. And since the Bible was completed in, by 100 AD, there are no more New Testament prophets in the sense of a prophet. So God can speak through prophecy, but there are no more apostles and um, prophets. So Paul was an apostle, despite what these false teachers were saying. And what gave Paul this authority, this right to call himself an apostle? Well, first of all, he says that he didn't receive this apostleship from men. In other words, Paul says, guys, that my calling to be an apostle, to go to the Gentiles, didn't originate from some strategy meeting in Jerusalem. It didn't originate for them thinking, hey, how, how can we train another apostle? No, it was directly from Jesus that he was chosen. Second, Paul did not receive his apostleship through man. In other words, Paul didn't receive his apostleship through education. Yes, Paul was a very educated man, trained in the law and in the word of God in the Old Testament. But his sending out, being sent out as an apostle didn't come through some humanistic university or some seminary, but it came through Christ himself and God the Holy Spirit as he spoke to Paul there on the road, he learned his gospel from Jesus as he got saved. And then God continued to teach Paul and give him revelation as he would teach the gospel. And Paul would often refer to the mysteries in his epistles, meaning these truths that God would give him, things that were hidden in the Old Testament, but now revealed to Paul in the New Testament. He received his apostleship from Christ, and, re- and he received his message directly from, as he says here, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Paul didn't make himself an apostle, nanny nanny, to the false teachers there were, which were accusing him. Now we see here in verse 2, And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of 
Galatia. So Paul's apostleship, while Paul's apostleship was given to him by Christ, and his message was given to him by Christ, yet his calling was evident to all. So as Paul was sending this letter to these believers, he says, hey guys, by the way, I got all the brethren here. They got my back too. They, they recognize and respect that God has called me to be an apostle. So these guys were basically backing Paul's evidence um, of him being an apostle. So Paul wasn't some lone ranger apostle making himself you know, to, you know, to be an apostle. He wasn't trying to convince people that he was an apostle. His gift was clearly recognized and his authority was clearly recognized by all the church. And that's why when Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he told the believers, he said, hey guys, do I need to write letters? Do I need to have letters for me to come to you that you would respect that I'm a true teacher of God? He says, no, you are my letters. Written on your heart, you recognize my ministry that God has worked through me in your life. And so you're my evidence of my apostleship. And so these believers who are with Paul were vouching the same thing that Christ did in Paul's life, the fact that he chose him to be an apostle. This letter is addressed to the churches, notice that, plural, the churches of Galatia. And so this was the audience that Paul was uh, writing to. Now, the word churches is plural because there was a number of churches in the area of Galatia. The, the word Galatia actually comes from the Gauls or the, or the Celts, which populated the northern area of Asia Minor. But when Rome came in and conquered this area, they expanded this region of Galatia which included the southern area of Asia Minor, which we know of today as Turkey. And so we know that Paul visited this area, specifically in Acts 13 and 14, on his first missionary journey, him and Barnabas, when they were sent out from Antioch. They went into this area of Galatia, and God used him to plant churches. There was four specific churches that were planted. He planted a church in Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And as Paul was doing his ministry there, he got stoned. You know, they not literally stoned as some think, but stoned meaning with a stone. You know, they, they tried to kill him. And, and after that happened, God rose him up and he says, hey guys, let's go back into the next towns and, and equip the saints, preach the gospel. Paul later visited this area of Galatia, uh, Galatia again in Acts 16 through Acts chapter 18 on what's called the second missionary journey. Now, some scholars believe that Paul maybe even went north and visited the northern area of Galatia and maybe establish churches over there. And so there's a big debate among scholars it's called the Southern View or the Northern View. I don't know which one's right. And so either way, Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. And so um, it could have been to the north, could have been to the south. Um, so we'll talk more about that in chapter two uh, when, when we get there. But for now, it was clear that Paul was writing to these believers and he was going to give them the message that he also uh, received and, and continued to to, um, to give out. Now, concerning Paul's message, let's talk about it um, for a second. Notice here that, that Paul's ministry was to be an apostle. Now, obviously, our ministries are different than Paul's, right? As we're talking about being messengers of grace, you know, I'm not trying to say that we're apostles here tonight. Obviously, our, our ministry is a little different, but nevertheless, it's just as important in the scheme of, of God's kingdom, and how God wants to use us. You see, God used these apostles and prophets to lay the foundation, but yet God will use believers to build upon that foundation of the gospel of Christ. And so as we talk about being messengers of Christ, we need to follow Paul's example in his zeal for what it is to serve God. You see, Paul recognized that he was called by God, and so he dedicated his life 
to serve God, to be effective for the kingdom of God. He was known by his call. He says, guys, I'm Paul, an apostle. And so he was identified by it. He owned his gift. He, he recognized his gift, and he was willing to give his life over to serve God with that gift. And so everybody here tonight has a calling in the kingdom of God. Everybody here has a gift from God. And like Paul, we need to own that. We need to recognize that. Now, we shouldn't become prideful at it and say, oh, yeah, I got this gift. No, that's the other wrong end of the spectrum. But we need to be humble, but we need to recognize if God has called you to do something, well, then we need to do it. It, it, That should identify our life, the fact that what God has called us to do to serve him. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, Timothy, give yourself entirely to these things, that your progress may be evident to all, that that in saving some, you know, basically they might be blessed, that you might be saved and that, that others may be saved through your ministry. So what has God called you to do? in his kingdom? In what place has God called you to be a messenger of his grace? It could be simply just in your work, or it could be in your home, or it could be a ministry in the church. It could be out of the church, in the world. God maybe has given you the gift of evangelism. You know you do because when you preach the gospel, people get saved, and you have a desire to go out and preach the gospel. Well, then you need to own that. Don't be shy about it, but recognize it and say, you know what, Lord, this is me. This is what you called me to do. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to own it. You know, and now we need to be humble servants. And if God asks us to do something else, we'll gladly give it up and do something else. But, but for now, we need to, like Paul, we need to be zealous for it. We need to recognize it, that it doesn't come from us. It's not something that we earned or deserve. It's something that God has given us by his grace. Now, maybe you don't know your gift. Maybe you don't know what God has called you to do. Well, just as Paul's apostleship was recognized by all the brethren, even so, be among the brethren, among the church. And your gifts and your callings will be recognized by all. I can try to join Sean up here tonight on the worship team. I don't think my gift will be recognized by all. You know, I, was like, oh, Jake, you know, I think you should do something else. And so, that kind of thing. And so, and so you know, your gifts and your callings will, will, you know, will be recognized. And if you, you know, Want to know what God's called you to do? Well, plug in and, and see what God will have you and, and see how God will use you and, and see if people recognize that you have um, that gift. So first we saw Paul, the man, man of God. Second, we saw the ministry of Paul. Now, third, we see the message of Paul in verses three through four. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a common greeting of Paul. It's so common that often we just pass it over. We say, the Simonese twins, right? Grace and peace. Paul wrote about it. It's common in in Paul's letters. But sometimes because it's so common to us, we actually skip it and we miss out on the fact that Paul is making a segue into the message that he was preaching. And so first Paul's ministry was being questioned, his apostleship. And Paul says, no, I'm called by God. Second, his message was being questioned. He says, well, guys, here's my message. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace has been known by a couple different terms getting what you don't deserve, God's riches at Christ's expense, using all the letters there, love and action. But basically, grace is the source and the basis of our salvation. It's the source and the basis of how we're saved. And as a result of receiving God's grace in our life, it produces peace. Peace is the practical result of receiving God's grace. As a believer, I can have peace because I know through the gospel of grace that my sins have been forgiven and I stand forgiven. 
stand declared righteous, not by my works, but by God's unmerited and undeserved favor. This can give me hope. This can give me peace because I know that God will complete the work that he began in my life. I was saved by grace. I'll continue to remain by grace. And in the end, when I'm in heaven with Christ, I'll know that it was all by grace. Now notice this grace comes not from man, but from the triune God, from God the Father in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now how does this grace work in our life? Well, verse 4, talking about Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he may deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Now salvation, uh, the salvation of all mankind is according to the will of our God and Father. It originated in the heart of God. You see, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. And God demonstrated that love towards us in that while we're still sinners, Christ came to die for us. That's the gospel, that God would send his only begotten son. And when Christ died on the cross, he gave himself for our sins. We talked about it a couple weeks ago when he talked about the cross of Christ. When Christ died on our behalf, he died as a penal substitution. He died as our sacrifice. And Paul said that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that by receiving Christ by faith, we can become the righteousness of God. So that's the gospel. Christ died for your sins. You're a sinner. Christ died on the cross for your sins. God rose him again from the dead to demonstrate that he paid that price. And when when we put our faith in that, when we turn from our sins and put our faith in that, God makes us born again and, and he declares us righteous in his sight, just as if we have never sinned. Now notice Paul goes on and says, not only did Christ give himself for our sins, but in the present and future tense, he says here that he also may deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God. And so our salvation is all one process. It's all one nutshell. It deals with the past. It deals with the present and it deals with the future. In theology, we call it justification, sanctification, and glorification. So God has delivered us from the penalty of sin as we look back at our justification. God is daily saving us from the power of sin as as we walk with Christ. He's making us more like Jesus. And in the future, one day, God will make us into the image of Christ as we're glorified with him. That's what Paul's referring to here. He's saying his gospel was not a cheap grace gospel. It wasn't something that someone just received and then goes out and lives in sin. But Paul says that when a person receives the gospel of grace, that they might be delivered from this present evil age. Their life is changed and separated for God and for the will of God. This has always been the message, not just with Paul, but throughout the entire New Testament. When James wrote to the believers, he says, guys, faith without works is dead. In other words, he says, a true saving faith will produce fruit. And the reformers would often say that we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It will produce fruit. We'll be saved from this present evil age. Our life will be separated to God. After Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, Peter exhorted the believers by saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized that day, and about 3,000 souls were added to them. And so here's these false teachers that came on the scene and said, Paul, he taught a gospel that's made up, and he just wanted to please man. And Paul says, no, my gospel is a gospel of grace, and the power of God changes people's lives, and it delivers people from this present evil world. So a person's heart who has been truly touched by the gospel of grace will, will leave this present evil age in the sense of the world system and all of the different characteristics that the world tries to follow, selfish ambition and pride and, 
and seeking to, to satisfy your own self. It will deliver us from that. But ultimately, in the end, it'll deliver us because we'll wake up in the likeness of Christ. Now, what about our message today? People say, well, Paul wrote this maybe in the 50s, maybe in the 40s AD. Can this really still be relevant to us today? Can we really take something from 40, late 40s AD and 50 AD and go out and tell it to people? Well, yes. The gospel never changes. It still delivers men from this present evil age. It still changes men's life. My life has been changed by Christ. And many of your, your lives have been changed by Christ. All of your lives have been changed by Christ. And that's the message that we take to the world. You see, our methods for getting the gospel out can change, but the message must always stay the same. The fact that all men are sinners and need Christ. The fact that when people get saved, they, they need to you know, plug in and be edified and built up in their most holy faith. Fourth and finally, in verse 5, we see Paul's motivation for the ministry. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul lived and preached not like these false teachers who did it for pride, not to draw men after himself for his own glory. But Paul says, hey guys, I live for the glory of God. This glory which will be forever and ever. That's what motivated Paul. That's what drove Paul was the glory of God. And I believe it was fueled by the imminent return of Jesus Christ to rapture the church. As Paul knew that any minute Jesus can come back and he would awaken the likeness of Christ and there be, there be before the reward seat of Christ. Everything that's wood, hay, and stubble done in the flesh will be burned away, but those things which were done for Christ and his glory will last for eternity forever and ever for the glory of God. What motivates us to serve God? If it's for people, it's going to fade. If it's for ourselves, we're going to be discouraged, right? We're, we're our worst critic. We either puff ourselves up or we discourage ourselves. But if we serve for Christ and for his glory, if that's what motivates, motivates us, then we'll be kind of steady Freddy kind of thing. We'll, just, we'll continue to march on like Paul. And in the end, like Paul, we'll be able to say, I have ran the good race. I have finished the race. Now is laid up for me a crown of glory, which all those who follow Christ's appearing will, you know, will receive as well. So God has given us our marching orders. He's given us what it is to be servants of grace. We, we need to be a man and woman of God. We need to have a, our ministry of God. We need to know our message of God, but we need to have the proper motivation from God. And that problem, then that proper motivation is to walk in God's glory, to run the race for God's grace. In closing, the old saying is true. There's one life we live, and it'll soon be passed, but all that we do for Christ will last.